Last week on the first Sunday of Advent, Pastor Shervin spoke about the unusual order of scripture readings in this season. Instead of starting out the new church year with a gospel text about beginnings, the lectionary gave us a text last week that was all about endings. But now on this second Sunday of Advent, we get the language that we might expect. In the title that he gives to his whole gospel story, Mark states that it is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. In that beginning, however, Mark does not give us a prologue as St. John does. There's no genealogy here like in Matthew and Luke. There are no stories of faithful and obedient parents, of a child in the manger, of a visit to the temple with a child, of a visit of magi. Instead, Mark goes straight to the drama of adults experiencing the radical coming of God's kingdom in the waters of baptism. And they aren't just eased into the shallow water of a pool. They are immersed right into the deep end immediately with John because we're told that with him it is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That may fit our need for a clear beginning to the story in this Advent season, but I don't know many people who come to church in Advent hoping for a sermon on repentance and sin. But here we are on the edge of the water with these people who've come out to John and if God's will is done, I think we will all be in the deep end with them. Whenever I hear about these people, I'm amazed and perplexed by their rush to be baptized in this way. As Mark reports, people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to John and were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins confessing their sins. I have to say, it's not what I would expect. What I would expect is that the people of Judea and Jerusalem would be much more like us, that they would, like us, have the same struggles with repentance and even with the subject of sin, especially if it has anything to do with us and our lives. Just look at, again, all of the men who are struggling with this today, after having their abuse of power brought out into the light of day by victims of sexual violence. Some of them have been more forthcoming than others in their willingness to admit that their behavior was harmful, hurtful to others. But we are still hard pressed to find any examples of what I think we could call full on repentance. Repentance is the Greek word used in our gospel text today, which implies a transformation, a change that takes place within us when we fully embrace the truth of our sin, and then when we change our whole way of speaking and thinking and acting. In repentance, we are brought out of darkness into light, or in the language of baptism, we are brought out of death into life. I've always thought 
at this time of the year that Charles Dickens gave us maybe one of the best examples of this in his Christmas carol about Ebenezer Scrooge. Scrooge, Dickens said, was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner who was as hard and sharp as flint and solitary as an oyster. But then Scrooge is painfully confronted with the truth of what this is doing to him and to the people in his life. And at first, he resists it with all his being. It is too frightening for him to consider, too horrible to accept. But if you know the story, you know that the truth finally sets him free. In the end, Scrooge doesn't just feel bad for what he's done or say he's sorry for how he behaved. Instead, he is transformed into a new person and even describes himself as a baby reborn again. I don't want to overstate the theological significance of Dickens' story, but I do love the way that he describes what true transformation looks like in a person who dares to embrace the truth. Scrooge, who was in the first place tight-fisted and greedy, becomes exuberantly and joyfully generous. Scrooge, who exploited the poor, even in his own household, to his advantage, becomes deeply concerned for the well-being of all marginalized and poor people. Stories like that maybe can help us feel a little bit less resistant to the truth of our own need for repentance and for change. But I think for the most part, we are not that different from the men in the news who are failing to take that path. And from all of those who fail to see that the new life being held out for us is far better than the one that we protect so fiercely. The problem is the longer we wait, the more hurt we cause to ourselves and to others. And we know from the beginning of Scripture to the end that that is something that God cares very deeply about. This is a point that's come up in several discussions I've been having recently about divine judgment. The whole gospel story told by St. Mark is a story of God's passionate concern for the well-being of all people. And the barriers to that well-being that Jesus saw and that he named were caused by individual and communal sin that needed to be condemned. If Jesus hadn't condemned sin like this, as he did on so many occasions, he wouldn't have angered anybody. And he certainly wouldn't have been put to death on a cross. But I think Jesus knew that change would only come through courageous truth-telling, as John the Baptist did. I think he knew that self-centeredness and idolatry were destroying what God longed for in, in this life, destroying individuals and destroying communities. 
And that that had to be named and that had to be claimed if there was going to be real change and if anything new was going to come forth. And throughout the Bible, that is the same love and passion that we see in all of the prophets who dared to speak God's word of judgment to the people. The point was never to cut them off from God's love or God's grace. The point was always to bring them out of their darkness into light and out of death into life. When I trace that prophetic line all the way to John the Baptist, who dressed and talked like Elijah, I think I have my answer to the question I posed about why people were so eager to come out to John and experience a baptism of repentance. In the end, I have to think that they saw it for what it was. I have to think that they saw baptism of repentance as the pathway into a life that they longed for in the depths of their hearts. Why else would they have dared to confess their sins? Why else would they have willingly jumped into the deep end of the pool? When I hear their story and all of this story today, I am thankful for John the Baptist who risked his life, gave his life for a movement that demanded conversion of people in all walks of life. But I'm especially thankful for all of those unnamed persons from Judea and Jerusalem who showed us, I think, what Advent hope really looks like in every time and place. For them, preparing the way of the Lord meant telling the truth about their brokenness in courageous trust, in trust that God would forgive them and especially that God would bring them out of that place into a new state of well-being. If you're like me, you need examples like this because there's always something within me that wants to protect the life that I live right now, even if it is hurting me and hurting others. There's always an urge to suppress the truth about my individual and especially my communal sin. Because I know that it comes with a call to change, not just to say, I'm sorry. And that's true of the individual thoughts and words and deeds that have become a pattern in my life. But it is especially true when it comes to my participation in communal sin, as we call it, at so many levels. That's where the urge to suppress or to ignore the truth is strongest, because I think that's where the need for change is also the greatest. And by communal sin, I mean the everyday participation that so many of us experience, participation in unjust economic, social, political systems that oppress, that hurt people, that harm God's people and God's creation. I resist that truth because in some ways it just seems too overwhelming. It seems like something I'll never be able to really understand, 
to really address, so I just put my head down and hope no one calls me out. But no one is helped by that. In reality, every attempt to suppress the truth is a barrier to the restorative justice and healing that God is bringing to us in Jesus Christ. So the message of Isaiah and of John is just as important today as it was for Jews in exile and for all of those people who came streaming out to the Jordan. Prepare the way of the Lord. Tell the whole truth about your brokenness and then courageously trust that God will be there to forgive you, to heal you, and to bring you into a new state of well-being that is good for you and for your neighbor and for all creation. And remember, St. Mark said that the gospel story he told was just the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. By that, I think he means that there is always more grace, more love, more forgiveness, and more new life to be discovered in this one we wait for now in trust and hope in these holy days. Thanks be to God. Amen.